Alrighty, this is our final study in the book of Job. And uh, I've entitled it, So the Lord Blessed Job, Blessed the Latter End of Job More Than His Beginning. And I've given it a subtitle, because that's what it typifies. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So that's the blessing that comes on those who are first. <clears throat> like, like the blessing that came on Joseph above his progenitors. Those in the first resurrection have a blessing that is uh, a first fruit blessing. It's enjoyed by those who come later through them but they are not the ones who are there during the thousand years. So let's read our verses and we'll get into these verses and see what the Lord has for us today. Verse 9 through 17. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brothers, all of his sisters, and all that had been his acquaintance before, and did eat with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold." So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels. Now each of these numbers is double what it used to be. And a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Now that's not double, that's exactly what he had before. But he will receive his children in the resurrection, so it is double. He uh, called the first the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this lived Job a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. <clears throat> so Job died being old and full of days. Now this study concludes the book of Job. When we first met Job, we were told that he feared God and hated evil, and his substance was the greatest of all the men of the East. Even though it was just half of what we just heard, he was still the greatest of all the men of the East. Here's what it says. Job 1, verses 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now here is Job in... Uh, New Testament form. The same statement in the New Testament. 
Because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and don't know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked, I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, Job 1 through 3 is what we call a type of a carnal Christian, what the scriptures call a type of carnal babes in Christ. Untried, hedge up around them, have all the gifts. And this is First Corinthians 1, 1 through 7 and 3, 1 through 4. Those verses tell us that the Corinthians, typifying all Christians who first come to Christ, were blessed in every way. And yet, they were still carnal. That's what chapter 1 and chapter 3 show us in the book of Corinthians. And that's what Revelation 3, 17 and 18 tell us too. We think we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and we don't know that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And yet we have the name of Christ. We have his name, but we're wearing our clothing, eating our food instead of his. The same Lord who tells us that the church in Laodicea, which is what Revelation 3.17 there is talking about, said to herself, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, when the truth is that you know not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, also tells us that in reality, Job was a vile man who contended with, reproved, and condemned his own Lord and Maker. When the time came to pour out the Lord's wrath upon the kingdom of Job's marred, beastly old man. In other words, the trial of our faith shows us what we're really made of, not the blessings we receive, physical blessings. Now, only because the seven last plagues of the seven angels have in type been poured out upon the kingdom of Job's carnal-minded old man, this is type and shadow. Job, as the Old Testament type of each of us, has been made to finally confess and acknowledge that in reality, he's not that perfect man at all, but a vile person. And it's he who has sinned against the Lord by contending with, reproving, and condemning his own maker. The severe trials which we are plainly told God himself sent Satan to inflict upon Job. You know, it didn't say they came and comforted him for all the devil did to him. It said that what the Lord had done to him. Those, seven, those trials typify the seven last plagues which we are told God's wrath, are God's wrath upon the kingdom of our old man which must be kept and fulfilled within the lives of those who will enter into the temple and heaven. And here it is, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and can receive this vital truth, one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. Now mind you, this is a book that we're supposed to read, here and keep. Revelation 1-3. Well, the, the four beasts... One of the four beasts given the seven angels seven vials full of the wrath of God, which lives forever and ever. And the temple, what is the temple? Revelation, I mean, 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know you're the temple? The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. In other words, their faith is tried. They are chastened and scourged of God. If God scourges every son he receives, Hebrews 12, 6, then it's quite understandable why no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. 
The seven plagues of the seven angels have now, in type, been poured out upon the self-righteous kingdom of Job's old man, here in this forty-second last 42nd chapter. Job has now, in type, been granted by his maker to do what the Lord tells us all to do. He admonishes us to buy of him gold, which has been tried in the fire. And that's what Job now has. Let's read it again, Revelation 3, 17 through 19. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They don't know. We don't, didn't know. And those who say, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works? Don't know. They'll just recite Job 29, you know, Job telling how great a human being he was and how little he deserved what God was doing to him. They'll do that. Lord, we've cast out demons and healed the sick and done many wonderful works in your name. And he'll say, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And never had that. That you may be rich in white raiment, that you may be clothed. And that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Then and only then is Job, or any of us, counted worthy to receive the double restoration, which is the symbol of the hundredfold reward Christ has promised to those who give up this life for the life of the new man. Here it is, Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, Lo, we've left all and have followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. So there it is, you know, that's our promise, you know, receive a hundredfold now. And we're not going to get a hundred wives, a hundred mothers. That's spiritually speaking. We receive those things in spirit, now, in this life. And in the life to come, life eternal. Job's double restoration of his physical losses is the symbol of God's spiritual heavenly treasures and wealth. Double restoration is the Old Testament type of our spiritual rewards for being granted to be his first fruits, through whom all mankind will be brought to know God. Romans 11.30 For as you in time past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these, that is the rest, also now not believed that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. It's all by design. I speak in parables, lest they should be converted and I should heal them. God is not saving the world right now. That's not his goal. He's looking for people who will obey him and be faithful to the gospel to the end and give up everything to receive everything, to receive, give up this life to receive life. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. As the story of Job demonstrates in type and shadow, there are very few who will endure the judgment of God while yet in these vessels of clay. 
And, and I mean, just read the book of Job. See the trials that he went through. And be realistic about what Christ wants of us. He wants our lives. And he wants us to give up our old man. So, there are very few who will endure that judgment while yet in these vessels of clay. And those few who do will be seated with Christ in the heavens. Right now. Right now. Spiritually speaking, we, if Christ lives his life in us and is living his life in us, we are seated with him, with his Father, on his throne in the heavens. While like Christ, being still on this earth in earthen vessels. Here it is, John 3.13. No man has ascended up to heaven. No one had been to heaven until Christ came. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now that's just what the scriptures teach. Christ was in heaven while he was on earth. And as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4.17 And here it is, Ephesians 2.6 And raised us up together and seated us together in the heavens, in Christ. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So, while the Laodicean Babylonians look forward to someday going to heaven, God's elect are already seated with Christ in the heavens, even while dying daily in an earthen vessel. 1 Corinthians 15.31 Written by a man who had Christ in him, and was seated with Christ in the heavens. He's the one that wrote Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. And 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This treasure is Christ. Christ is life. Knowing him and his Father is life, eternal. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, and not of us. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our life. Now, you need to be aware that it says what it says. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord. I have been asked, when does this trial ever end? Well, it does become more bearable. But we still die daily. We're still hated of all men daily. And we're crucified with Christ daily. Until we draw our last breath. That's just what the Bible teaches. When the Father raised up Christ, He also raised up all who are in Christ. In His mind, it's already done. I have given them into your hand, he told Moses. And he's already in the earnest of the Spirit, seated us with Christ in the, in the heavens, even as we are yet in vessels of clay. Jeremiah 18.4 tells us that we're vessels of clay and that we're marred in the potter's hand. Ephesians 13, 1, 13 and 14, whom you, In whom also you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom... Talking about Christ, of course. Also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Promise, not something you already have. Which is the earnest. Earnest is a word for down payment. 
the down payment of our inheritance until, until means we don't have it now for those who believe in the fullness now doctrine. Until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. It's in this state of being in earthen vessels and at the same time being seated to Christ in the heavens, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession that we look behind us and realize all we've been brought through just as Job has now come to see behind him. The reason for all of his fiery trials. He understands it now. Job 42 verses 5 and 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Wherefore I abhor myself. That old man that was so good at the beginning of the book, but who really was wretched, miserable, and poor. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In Revelation 1, 10 through 13, shows that this is the process. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the day of our judgment. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Send it to him that has an ear to hear. Unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now those churches are just mentioned there. They, they no doubt existed but they're just types of the whole church. He, they, they are, these words are for he that has an ear. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice. Verse 10 says he heard it behind him and he turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. We turn, and we see Christ in us. We see what he's done in our lives. We're told at the beginning and the end of the book of Revelation that the time is at hand to keep what is written in this prophecy. Here, here's Revelation 1, 3, and then Revelation 22, verses 6 and 7. Say the same thing. Blessed is he that reads, verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. This was written 2,000 years ago and it was at hand then. And it's at hand now. And then chapter 22, verse 6 and 7. He said to me, after all the things have been said and done in the book, all the judgments have been laid out, the seals, the trumpets, and the vials. These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servant the things which must shortly be done and kept, read and heard by those in whom Christ lives. Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Well, there's a lot of what sound like apocalyptic Terrible things in the sayings of the prophecy of this book. In Revelation 15, verses 7 and 8, are no exception. The seven last plagues of the seven angels must be kept and fulfilled in the lives of those who will be in that blessed and holy first resurrection. 
But those things of which are written therein, the sayings of this book, are all just part of all things which are ours. As we're told by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 3, verses uh, 21 and 22. All things, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, including the seven plagues of the seven angels, are ours. And until those seven plagues of those seven angels are fulfilled in our lives, we cannot enter into the temple of God in heaven. That's what's meant by every man's work shall be revealed by fire. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 and 22. Therefore let no man go in men, for all things are yours. All things, it's just what it says. Like the book of Revelation says, the things written therein, the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Which ones? All of them. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come. All are yours. Things present and things to come would certainly and surely include those things that must be fulfilled in our lives before we can enter into the temple of God. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man, no man means no one, can enter into that temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels are fulfilled. Where there's smoke, there must be fire, and here is the fire which produces this smoke. Luke 12, verse 49, I, Christ, am come to send fire on the earth to pour out my wrath upon the old man and every human being who has ever lived. And what will I if it already be kindled? That fire, as we have already seen, is Christ's words and his doctrine. Jeremiah 5.14 just says, Because you have kept these words, I will make my word in your mouth fire, and this people will be wood, and it will devour them. That, in type, is what Job has endured through his fire experience of losing all of his physical possessions, including his children, the torment of the false accusations of his friends. Then, via Elihu's words, spoken on behalf, God's behalf, and now via God himself. Now God is, in type, going to use Job as a savior of his three friends who have betrayed and had forsaken him, and added to his pains by reviling him, as he figuratively hung on the naked on his own cross, enduring the wrath of God upon his sinful flesh. Look at Isaiah 54, verse 8, and ask yourself, who is this speaking of? In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting mercy, kindness, will I have mercy on you, saith the Lord your Redeemer. That's exactly what happened to our Lord. Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like it said there. A little moment. For a little moment, I hid my face from you. Matthew 4 and 2 Corinthians 10 are going to help us to see what this all means. It's all part of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and it's all ours. To be lived out and to bear about the dying of the Lord in our bodies before we can enter into the temple of God and the kingdom of God within us. Matthew 4.4, 4, he answered and said, It's written, Man 
Just the word anthropos, meaning mankind. It's quoted from the Old Testament where the word Adam appears. Mankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 2 Corinthians 4.10 Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. After 31 chapters, we're told the words of Job are ended, and the words of God begin. In all those first 31 chapters, Job was completely blind to the truth of Matthew 4.4, 4, 1 Corinthians 3.21 and 22, and Revelation 1, verses 3 and 15, 7 and 8, that I've quoted here. But now, God has opened Job's eyes, and he's been through the fire, and he now sees clearly that God is sovereign over all the good and all the evil. And he now appreciates his own words, which were begrudging at first. Job 23.10, Job's own words. He knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. As gold tried in the fire, remember Revelation 3.17. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Job is now used as a type of those who will be the channel through whom his self-righteous friends will now be brought to Christ. Yet, so as by the very same fire that Job just went through, which all men must go through before they can enter into the temple of God in heaven. Now this book is just the briefest summary of what had taken place in the lives of Job and his three friends. The way this is worded, it appears that the Lord merely spoke the word, and Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar immediately repented. And they very likely did. Nevertheless, this entire story of Job and his experience demonstrates that God, godly repentance comes only after the seven plagues of the seven angels has been fulfilled. We don't just naturally say, oh, I'm a terrible person. No, we don't. We think we are pretty good stuff. After those plagues are fulfilled and have been poured out upon the kingdom of our old man, and that principle applies to Job's three friends who symbolize the seed of the serpent, who accuse and condemn our Lord and his Christ, as we've all done. Revelation 12.10 I heard the voice saying in heaven, I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. <clears throat> For the accuser of our brothers is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And Revelation 15, 7 and 8, again, one of the four beasts gave the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of seven angels were fulfilled. That's just what has to take place before we will be granted to be seated with our Lord in the heavens. They too, these, these friends of Job, are self-righteous, and they too must have this self-righteousness burned out of them, just like it has been out of Job, and Lord willing, is being burned out of us. Here's the conclusion of the book of Job, <coughs> story of Job. This is how saviors arise upon Mount Zion to judge the house of Esau. Verse 9, So Eliphaz the Tumanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord had commanded them, 
Lord also accepted Job. In placing three men in Job's life to add to his torment, we're just being told that our entire time of trial, because three represents the process of judgment, the time of our trial, is all a process for the purpose of being judged. It's of great significance that God's acceptance was contingent upon Job's forgiveness of these men who had proven to be his enemies. Look at Matthew 18, verses 33 through 35. This is right after Christ telling us to forgive our brother 70 times 7, even after we've taken him, gone to him alone, taken somebody with us, and then told it to the church. He says, he gives the parable of the two men who were so deep in debt, one so deep in debt that he could never pay it off, and the other in debt to the servant who was much more deeply in debt to his master. And at the end of that parable, which he calls the kingdom of God, after telling us that the first the first servant who was so deeply in debt had gone out and grabbed his fellow servant by the throat, and his fellow servant just owed him a little and threatened to throw him in jail if he didn't pay it. And of course he couldn't, so he had to go to jail. But the whole thing is written for our admonition. And Christ concludes. Revelation, I mean, Matthew 18, he said, Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had compassion on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. That's the second death right there. That's what that's a type of, and that's what Job does not go through because he went through it first. His friends are the type of the second death. So like what shall my heavenly Father do to you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother? Job forgave those men. Job saw that it was God working the good and the evil. Job, it dawned on him. He realized, wow, God is doing it all. I better not be getting mad at anyone about anything. I better accept what God is doing and appreciate it and rejoice in the fact that he has seen fit to do this all to me in this life. Job is the type of God's elect who do in time forgive those who trespass against them and reap the good fruits of doing so. John, Job 42 verse 10 The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. When he prayed for his friends. That's how important it is that we must forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's God doing it. It's not them. Let it go. Love them anyway. It's interesting to note that when Job's trial was ended, he named his first son Joseph. I'm sorry. Joseph's trial was ended. And I want to thank uh, James Bernini just for bringing this to my attention. He named his first son Manasseh, meaning causing to forget. Like Job, Moses wanted, uh, Joseph wanted to forget his trials. And the scriptures say that we will. He named his second son Ephraim, which means double fruit. Because twice as much and double typify that hundredfold, as we said before. The words of those who are given to the overcomers. Now, the, 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 you know, you can use that. You can use Benjamin. You can use 
so many different things in Scripture to demonstrate that principle of being given double if you're God's first fruits. The phrase, turn to captivity, is a way of saying that we are restored to our Lord. King David uses this phrase in this way. Psalms 126, verse 1 through 4. Song of degrees, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like unto them that were, that, uh, like, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Wherefore we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Christ expresses this thought in these words. John 16, verses 19 through 21. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and he said to him, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said a little while, and you shall not see me, and a little, and again a little while, and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And your sorrow, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because she, she because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. Paul expresses the truth of these verses with these words. Romans eight seventeen and 18. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, that's what Manasseh, meaning we be caused to forget, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Ephraim, receive a double fruit. When we read the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, we're not being told that Job came to know God at the same time his friends did. No. Judgment began at the house of Job. That's what we're being told. And if it began first of him, first at him, what will the end be of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar? And the answer is, they too will suffer loss and yet be saved. By fire, just as Job experienced. That's what will happen to them. But Job's belief was through their unbelief. And they will be shown the mercy of Job's mercy, only after Job has prayed for his friends. We all go through this same process of judgment, which this, which this book of Job demonstrates is the type of the one event which comes to the elect, as well as to those who come to know God through the mercy shown to them through God's elect. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the This is Ecclesiastes 9, verse 2. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrifices and to him that sacrifices not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that swears, as he that fears an oath. Matthew 18.35, which we read earlier, tells us that Job, as the type of those who have the mind of Christ from his heart, forgave his friends. From his heart, he knew after he was, it was revealed to him that God was sovereign over everything, he knew that his friends had nothing to do with what they were doing to him. 
So he forgave his friends just as soon as he was made aware of the fact that they knew not what they were doing. Christ knew that. That's why he could say that on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That's the mind of Christ toward those who trespassed against him. Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. This attitude of mercy towards those whose hearts are hardened by God himself is crucial to our own forgiveness and our own mercy from our own Creator. When we know that all sin is the result of the law of sin in our members instead of our own will, we cannot hold those trespasses against uh, us. We cannot hold those who trespass against us responsible for their trespasses. Romans 7, verses 17 through 18. I mean through 23. Now I'm going to be reading through verse 25. Maybe a break right there. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's not I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you realize that there's no one in the Christian religion who believes in free moral agency who believes those words? They believe it is. Yes, it is you doing it. That's what they'll tell you. They, they'll argue with this verse, these verses of Scripture. 17 and 20 repeat the same thing. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, I will be delivered. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, and with the flesh, the law of sin. And then Romans 9:16. Through 18. So then it's not of him that wills. We just read it there. It's not I that do it. Nor of him that runs. Just a straightforward statement. Not our will. It's not our will when we sin. But it's God who shows mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardens. Now, that's just scripture. So Job, as the type of God's elect, is gracious toward his miserable comforters because he now knows that while they did indeed condemn him, it wasn't really they who had done it at all. It was God who sent Job ahead of them to endure his wrath first, and become their Savior. God actually used those men to make Job what a first fruit. 
Let's look at that principle just plainly stated in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. Joseph said to his brothers, Come near me, I pray you. And they came near. This is when he reveals himself to them. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, don't be greed. Don't angry with yourselves that you sold me here. There it is. Two times he says, You sold me. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years, and that's what we're, we're, we're not called just to save our own life. We're called to preserve lives in other people. For these two years, as a famine been on the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your life by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, just like Joseph's brothers, who sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, who eventually brought gifts to Joseph, and who ate with Joseph in Joseph's house, Job's brothers and friends are all going to do the same with him. Job 42.11 And that is what happened to Joseph. They brought him gifts. Not just the money he had given them. They brought that back too. But they brought him gifts besides that. So the parallel is complete. Because they're both typifying the same thing. Job 42.11 Then came there unto him all of his brothers and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat with him in his house, and they bemoaned him, and comforted him over all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. Can there be evil in the city, and the Lord has not done it? Amos 3, 6. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and everyone an earring of gold. He plundered the Egyptians, so to speak. Just as Israel did. All saying the same thing. All the evil the Lord brought upon Job is in accord with the rest of Scripture. The evil that befell Job, just as with Joseph, was all at the hands of the Lord. And so was the death of our Lord. Those people who killed Christ, they didn't know what they were doing. Christ said so. They were doing what God's hand had before ordained to be done. And that's what Acts 4 verse 28 tells us. It's the Lord who sends evil spirits as his own hand, which we saw so graphically stated in Job 1 and Job 2. Now here's the story of the book, this story in the book of Genesis. Genesis 43 verse 26. When Joseph came home, they, his brothers, brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. This is before he reveals himself to them. But why did his brothers and sisters and friends come back to Job when they did? They did so for the same reason they forsook Job. They did so for the same reason Christ's disciples forsook him. They did so for the same reason that everything is done. It's only because God prepared their hearts to do so and then carried out His will. The preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 
Proverbs 16.1. Chronicles 28, uh, 29, verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of your people and prepare their heart unto you. God prepares our hearts to do evil and then he prepares our hearts to do to repent. Psalms 10 verse 17 Lord you have heard the desire of the humble and you will prepare their heart and you will cause your ear to hear. King David tells us of the favor which will be shown to those who are faithful to the Lord to the end. Psalms 119 verse 74 They that fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. And that is the way it is. Anyone who loves Christ, they're going to, they're going to love his Christ. Psalm 119 verse 179 Let those that fear you turn to me and those that have known your testimonies. God has also given many promises to those who are his overcomers, his first fruits. Here are just a few examples of the promises examples of the promises given to those whose captivity is turned by God. Revelation two twenty six through twenty eight. He that overcomes and keeps my words to the works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. So, there it is. That's what we're promised. Revelation 3.9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Job's restoration is the Old Testament type and shadow of all the blessings that come upon those who, to whom it is granted to value the things of the Spirit and to tremble at the word of God. And that's few people. Isaiah 66, 2, For all those things have, made, have my hand made and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him, that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. It's only because God shows mercy upon us and often and softens our heart, our hard heart, by pouring out his wrath upon the kingdom of our old man, as he did upon the kingdom of the first man, Job, that we are restored. But as the type of those who will be forgiven of their sins in this age, Job is granted a heart that can receive and tremble at the Lord's words. It's just in type, but nonetheless, this is what we're told. Verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. So he had, also, he had also seven sons and three daughters. The latter end of Job is an Old Testament type of our new man who indeed is indeed more blessed than our beginning uh, as, as being marred vessels of clay in the hand of the potter. It's very few people are given that blessing of being marred vessels of clay in the hand of the potter at this time. We are tempted to wonder why Job's wealth is doubled, but his family is simply restored to 
the original seven sons into three daughters. But when we remember that while his flocks will not be resurrected, his ten children will be resurrected. So in that sense, his family also was doubled. When we consider the spiritual significance of the number ten, seven, and three, we realize that his ten children, before and after his trials, symbolize all flesh of all time. His seven sons symbolize the completed salvation, which was secured for us before the foundation of the world. And the three daughters represent the process of our judgment and the salvation through which the church, which is his body, uh, comes. This is made clear in as much as we are given none of the names of Job's children who were given him before his destruction. But, after his symbolic salvation, only the names of his three daughters are given us. While the obvious message is that God will reward a meek and quiet woman who submits to her husband just as richly as a male who labors in the word. It's also obvious that these three daughters represent the bride of Christ, and their names indicate as much. He called the first Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Havoc. Now, there's no J sound in either Hebrew or Greek, excuse me. Consequently, there's no symbol for the, that sound. <coughs> and when we see that sound in names like Jehovah, Jesus, Jemima, it's always translated from a Y. In this case, Jemima would be understood as coming from the Hebrew word Yoma, meaning day. Some say it means a hot day. Some say beautiful day, and some say it means day by day. But they all agree that the name Jemima marks the end of the dark night of Job's destruction. All the commentaries agree to that, or a lot of them do. The end of his fiery trials, like Joseph, naming his first son Manasseh, causing to forget. Now, King David tells us that wounds stink. My wounds stink and, it's cor and are corrupt because of my foolishness. And Job tells us his own breath was corrupt and strange. Job 17, 1. My breath is corrupt, my days are extinct, the graves are ready for me. Job 19, 17. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for, my, for the children's sake of my own body. Kezia, is a sweet-smelling savor, representing the sweet smell of peace of our new lives after our resurrection. 2 Corinthians 2.15 For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. What a blessing that we are given to be the smell of cassia to our Lord. The third daughter's name is Karen Hapak, which means a horn of cosmetics. It isn't meant to tell us that this poor girl had to have makeup on just to be seen in public. But on the contrary, we're being told that she and her sisters were all so beautiful uh, as the type of the espoused virgin of our Lord that there was no need for such things. It was as if she were already made up. Second Corinthians 11 verse 2 I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy for I have espoused you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The fact that these three daughters of Job were given inheritance among the, with their brothers also tells us who they typify. They typify the spouse of our Lord. 
who will also receive an inheritance among as joint heirs with Christ as the heirs of salvation. Romans 8, 17. And if children, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified with him. In 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Truly God is no respecter of persons, and will reward a faithful woman or wife with the inheritance befitting her, her submission to it. That's what the scriptures call true feminine beauty and, and value. Job 42, verse 15, And in all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. Fair and beauty are inward characteristics which Christ is looking for in his bride, male or female. Blessed are we when we are not offended by this description of Christ's wife. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 5. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, your chaste conversation is your pure and clean way of life, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, Male or female, that hidden man of Christ is in there. In that which is not corruptible, even the, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. We're not born with a meek and quiet spirit. We put our hand upon our mouths only after we have been crushed by the seven, seven angels who have the seven vials of the wrath of God upon our carnal, loud-mouthed, God-condemning first man, Adam. As the bride of Christ, we adorn the hidden man of the heart with a meek and quiet spirit. And we are just, and we just listen intently and tremble at the words of our husband, Christ, the word of God. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being not old and being old and full of days. If Job is a type of God's elect, then his age, being old and full of days, is a type of our claim on immortality. For this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30, 53 through 34. But this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Well, why would mortal put on immortality? Because he doesn't have it. We're not immortal. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Seeing his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations, symbolize the whole of mankind, the number four, and the number uh, is also connected with the concept of the whole that is under the heavens. In conclusion, this chapter, 
which tells us of Job's place in bringing his friends and his own family to God, is the Old Testament type of this verse in Revelation 20, which we read earlier. Blessed and holy are they that have part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. But the book of Job, in an overall sense, is the Old Testament type of how the seven plagues of the seven angels of Revelation 15 and 16 are fulfilled in the lives of the self-righteous old first man Adam within the lives of God's first fruit elect. In other words, through you and me, if, if that's who we are. Through whose mercy all the rest of mankind will come to God through the fire of the lake of fire. Isaiah 33, verse 14 and 15. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Foolishness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Well, he, he that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions. That shakes his hands from holding the bribes. That stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Wow. Wow. Job is the type of all who endure this devouring fire and these devouring burnings first. Proverbs 107 verse 21 and 22. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Even in the trial, be grateful for it and declare his works with rejoicing. James gives us an apt conclusion to this entire book. James 5, verse, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very merciful and of tender mercy. No, 